You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy God, on this extraordinarily important day in the lives of our graduates, we'd be asking you now to be gracious to our seeking of a word that can come only from your Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. When the Hebrews left Egypt to begin their difficult journey through the wilderness, they brought with them a group of people that the Bible calls the rabble. The rabble were people who were on the journey but did not believe in the journey or in the God who called the Hebrews to it. Their tolerance for discomfort was low. Their capacity for complaint was high. Every ministry has a member of the rabble in it. They do not place them on the search committees. But I'm telling you, they're waiting for you. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, we are told that the rabble among them had a strong craving. And they got the Israels to weep and say, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now all of our strength is dried up and we have only this manna to look at. Now, you all know about the manna, that means of nourishment that God rained down from heaven for his people. You remember the many ways in which manna serves as a metaphor for how God keeps all of God's people nourished and alive on the journey. Because the manna came with rules. You had to get it every day. You couldn't store it up. Everybody had to get their own. There's no group plan on spiritual nourishment. And it's not much. Just enough to keep you moving another day. But the best insights into the manna come from its name, which is literally translated, what is it? I love this part. Every morning, the parents would go out and gather a bowl of what is it. They'd bring it home. They would prepare it as creatively as they could, I'm sure. But there was no what is it helper. They'd place it on the table. Their teenagers would look at it and say, what is it? And the parents would say, yes. Every day, day after day, God kept the Hebrew people alive with this critical question. What is it? What is it, O oh God, that you are doing with us out here in the desert? What is it you had in mind in pulling us from Egypt? What is it that's so special about the promised land? What is it that has to happen in our lives before we can enter it? What? What? What is it? This question just kept being asked for centuries 
all the way up to the sixth chapter of John. Jesus identifies with this bread raining down from heaven, which means that the answer to the centuries-old question, what is it, God, is another question. Only we would say it's a more particular question for us. Now the question is, what is it, Jesus, that you are doing today? If the whole point of the journey is to learn faith, you don't get a lot of answers. At best, what you get along the way are better questions. And a choice to still believe in spite of the questions. That's how faith is formed. But the rabble, they're not impressed with this process of forming faith. They get us to stop asking, what is it Jesus is doing? And to instead focus on our favorite lament, if only. If only we had meat. If only we had never left Egypt. If only we didn't have to keep settling for questions. If only we could get some certain answers. How many times do these words emerge from our lips as well? Sometimes it's because we are absolutely focused on the future. If only I could get a job. If only I could find someone special to spend the rest of my life with. If only, if only, if only that I would be okay. Sometimes we use this phrase because we're focused on the past. If only instead of seminary, I had gone to veterinary school. (laughs) Animals are so much easier to take care of. Only I had made better choices when I could. From here on out, it's all consequences. Speaking these words, if only, preoccupies you with either the future or the past. But the biggest danger is that it makes you miss the present tense, which, remember, is the only tense in which the manna is found in the day that you have been given. This mysterious, life-giving grace of God, it comes a day at a time. Without the ability to ask, what is it that Jesus is doing in our lives today? We are always anxious, never joyful. But to be clear, the most dangerous rabble is not the complaining people around us. It's the rabble that lives in each of our hearts. So you have to discipline your heart above all other things because there's just too many voices rising out from it. This is why I've never understood the advice, just trust your heart. If your heart is like mine on most days, it feels like there's a bad committee meeting going on in there. Everybody's trying to hijack the agenda, choose me, choose me. whole thing can go south in a hurry. So you have to make choices about what you're going to do with your heart today. 
Don't let the rabble of anxiety that emerges from within overwhelm you. There's nothing that those that you will be leading in ministry need more from you than your own spiritual health, your own ability to know how to find the manna every day. Up to this point in the journey out of slavery, Moses has been an absolute model of non-anxious leadership. When the the people were standing at the shores of the Red Sea and they saw Pharaoh coming after them and they complained to Moses, Moses held his staff over the waters and they parted for them. Later in the desert, when the people began to complain that they were out of resources, Moses went to God and found the water in the desert and the bread that rains from the heavens. When they were at Mount Sinai and Moses was at the top in conversation with a sacred encounter, the people were down at the bottom of the mountain dancing around a golden calf saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Israel. The Lord God was furious and said to Moses, I'm going to consume all of them and you, Moses, I'll get you a new congregation. (laughs) If I was Moses, I would have taken this deal. These these are a complaining group of people. But in his finest moment of leadership, Moses intercedes on behalf of the people, reminds God of the holy covenant God made with them, and changes God's mind about bringing disaster on the people. Now when we get a little further away from Sinai in the first few verses of our text today in Numbers 11, the people start complaining again. And God couldn't resist torching at least a few of them on the outer edges of the camp. It would have consumed them all if Moses had not interceded on the people's behalf again. But later in the chapter, for some reason, when the rabble got everybody going on this manna thing, Moses snaps. In verse 11, he says, Why did you lay this burden on me? In verse 12, he says, Am I their mother? Verse 13, he says, Where am I going to get meat for all these people to eat? Verse 14, he says, I cannot carry these people. Verse 15, he finally says, If this is going to be the way you treat your servant, just kill me today. (laughs) This is a leader who has gone over the edge. But I'm telling you, in about five years, you're going to want to read this sermon again. (laughs) So God responds to his burnt-out leader by saying, look, I'm going to take care of the meat thing, but right now I'm more worried about you. So God has Moses bring the 70 elders to the great tabernacle, and God places some of the spirit that was on Moses now upon the elders. And in response, the elders began to prophesy. But for some reason, two of the men who were registered to be elders, Eldad and Medad, they missed the ordination service. They stayed in the camp. But the spirit found them in the camp anyway, and they began to prophesy as well right in the camp. When Joshua heard about this, he was livid. 
He demanded that Moses make them stop prophesying. They did not follow the rules. They didn't even go to seminary. (laughs) There they are, out in the camp, not even in the place of worship, prophesying. There's nothing in the Book of Order about this. (laughs) Moses says, no. Would that all of the Lord's people were prophets. The goal of the church is not to organize the prophecy of the Holy Spirit. The goal is to free everyone to speak God's word in their part of the camp. When you are in leadership, it's tempting to think that it is your job to get the people to the promised land And since you're the leader, you're on your own. But you are never on your own. Doesn't matter what kind of ministry or service you will be engaged in, there is always a me dad and an L dad. There is always prophecy coming from some other part of the camp. These people are not the rabble. These people are on Team Holy Spirit. They're working for the same goals that God has called you towards. Thinking leadership means that it's your sole responsibility to get people to the promised land. It's just another if-only statement about the calling of your future. If only I could get to the future. It's not your job to get the people to the promised land. That's God's job. Your job is to bear their burdens in your heart today as you travel with them through the journey one day at a time. You carry the burdens in your own heart. Now, we prefer just the opposite. We prefer to let God love them, and we'll just move them along. But no, the calling is to love even to love the rabble, every day God has placed them in your heart. Here is the most frightening part of this text to me. God honors our choices. As Moses eventually discovered, if you keep asking God to get these people to the promised land without you, God will. Moses was not with the people when they finally crossed the Jordan River, and it did not make him as happy as he thought it would. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.